Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin.
Thank you, Mr. Singer. I was just uh, sitting there thinking about, uh, about the weather. And I know that uh, 40 years ago, uh, the same week that it rained like this uh, here in Las Vegas, as a matter of fact, there was a, a quite a tremendous storm that, uh, that we had that very week. And uh, all of Boulder Highway uh, had been flooded out, you see, because we didn't have, you know, the 215 and all that stuff uh, back then. Uh, those have been built in the last uh, uh, few decades, I guess. But uh, the reason I, I remember that is because that's the same week that Cheryl and I got married. <laughs> and uh, I, lived in a, I lived in a parsonage at that time out in Henderson. And, uh, and so uh, my family had come out to, for the wedding. And uh, when I came home, because I was, I was going to school, and when I came home uh, and it had been raining, well, the whole parsonage uh, had leaks. And so there, my, my mother and uncle had put uh, all of these pots and pans all over the house. So there was ding, 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 ding. And uh, they had a few choice words. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But uh, yeah, 40, 40 years ago, today is our anniversary. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, I thought it was quite interesting that uh, you know this big storm because uh, 40 years ago that that happened then as well. <laughs> Amen. And as I mentioned to Cheryl, it seemed just like yesterday to me. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Book of Matthew, chapter 26. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26, and uh, last week we looked at that passage, or a portion of, uh, of this chapter, where Mary brought this, this container filled with perfume and costly fragrant oil, and poured it all over the body of the Lord Jesus, and even wiped his feet with, with her hair. And how that the disciples then criticized this offering that she made. And we made the point that it's, it's important that we not criticize what others give to the Lord. What uh, the Lord places on someone uh, to give is between them and the Lord. And uh, this uh, past week, we voted as a church to uh, provide $2,000 to disaster relief uh, for Maui, for the island of Maui and those there. But know that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has a disaster uh, relief department that is you know, uh, working to, to help there as well as uh, Samaritan's Purse and uh, many other uh, denominations and organizations all working uh, together hand in hand to help those devastated by the fires in, uh, in Maui, and so we want to continue to pray for them, uh, for the people there, and our, our hope and, and desire uh, is that they'll come to know the Lord as Savior, even through a, a tragedy like this one, and that those who've lost their loved ones and have lost everything that, that, uh, that they own will find comfort and strength and hope for a brighter tomorrow in the Lord. Jesus Christ. And so we want to we want to lift them uh, in prayer. And we want to thank you for your faithfulness and your stewardship as you continue to give your offerings and and 
your support for people in, in need. And so we thank you. Now, verse 17, chapter 26. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Let's pray, please. Our Father in God, as we study your word, we pray that you be our teacher through God the Holy Spirit, illuminating our understanding, touching our hearts, our lives, our spirit, our mind, that we might understand and apply your word and its truth to our lives, and that we might give our lives to you wholly, and that, in turn, we might share your word with others, with the desire and the hope that they will come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. We ask the Lord speak to each of us, and as a body of believers, to the glory of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray and give thanks. Amen. And so the disciples received the specific directions concerning the Passover. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread basically commemorated that period of time in the history of the Jewish people where they had to leave Egypt 
in a hurry. And so they, they were um, directed to remove all of the yeast out of their home, and they were to eat bread without yeast. That is, they were to prepare this bread without yeast, which the yeast causes the bread to rise. And even to this very day, as they prepare for Passover, and Ms. Janice can, can attest to that, in the Orthodox or Hasidic uh, Jewish homes, they do everything to ensure that there is no yeast in, in the house. You see, yeast in time became symbolic of sin. And so even the Apostle Paul in his, in his preaching, he says that even a little leaven, that is leaven, you see, or yeast, leavens the entire loaf, or in other words, a little bit of sin impacts the entire life of an individual. Even a little sin in a nation impacts the entire nation. And so it was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the disciples, they come to the Lord and they say, well, where do you want to eat the Passover? And as in all things, God had everything prepared. Jesus already had everything taken care of. There was an individual. Now, the individual isn't named, but someone who knew Jesus as Lord and Savior and had offered his home to the Lord. He told the disciples to go to such and such a place that a certain man will meet them, etc. And he said, just let him know that my time is at hand. I will eat the Passover at your home. And so... He gives them specific directions, and the disciples complete the task as directed by the Lord Jesus. Now, we say that very quickly, but uh, preparing the Passover, especially in that period of time, was quite a task. You see, today, we're spoiled because we have supermarkets. <laughs> we have supermarkets, and everything is prepared for us. But back in that day... They actually had to go to the temple to get a lamb that had been slain and had been dedicated in the temple all according to tradition. And then it had to be prepared and it had to be cooked. And all of the various items that are part of the Passover had to be prepared and, and present. But they went and they completed the task and they prepared the Passover meal with the Lord Jesus. And isn't it interesting that at this, this supper, at this meal, while they're eating, Jesus stuns them. They were stunned when he said, one of you will betray me. You know, mid-bite or something, right? Or one of you will betray me. And they were stunned. They were confused. And notice that they all say, Lord, is it I? Am, am, am I the one? But notice there's one who does not call him Lord. If you, if you saw that in verse 25 it says then Judas who was betraying him answered and said 
rabbi. Notice the difference? He doesn't call him Lord. He, he calls him teacher, basically. In some, of your, in some of your translations, it might have teacher. The others were calling him Lord, and they were worried. Yet, notice how deceptive, how disingenuous, right? How wicked and evil Judas really is. Because he had already received 30 pieces of silver to betray him. He had already made a deal to betray him. He knew that he was the one. And in the Greek, it actually, when Jesus says, you have said it, it actually means, word for word, yes, it is as you say. Judas was identified. He was the betrayer. He had already betrayed them, both in his heart and by deed. He had already entered into an agreement with the chief priests and the, and the tribes. And notice, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. He was sitting right there in a place of honor, right next to, to, to Jesus. And he pretends. And he should have known better because Jesus, the Bible teaches, knew the heart of all men. You've said it. Judas. And what a legacy. What a legacy. How often do people name their sons Judas these days? <laughs> Now there's there's a there's a, a name that's uh, quite close to it, right? Jude, where Jesus had a had a half brother named Jude. And there's also another apostle named Judas, but not Iscariot. And the Bible makes that very clear. And he's uh, known as Thaddeus also. Heard that name. But notice the Lord Jesus Christ goes on and ordains the Lord's supper. Now, there's a tremendous amount of symbolism contained within the Lord's Supper. And as we've been studying through the book of Jeremiah in Sunday school, we came across the, the passage where the Lord promises a new covenant. And when Jesus ordained the Lord's Supper, he said that this is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, the fulfillment of the message prophesied by Jeremiah so many years ago. The new covenant. Now the bread and the wine represent our Lord's body and blood. And we touched on this on, on Wednesday during our Bible study as we continued studying baptism. The church has basically two ordinances. We refer to them as ordinances or or actions, if you will, observances that Jesus ordained. And so we get the word ordinances from activities, commemorations that Jesus ordained. Okay? Baptism and the Lord's Supper are both the ordinances of the church. Now, there are some Baptist churches 
mainly in the south, that add a third one. Like we, don't, we don't observe that one. Hopefully you do at home in your own privacy, and that is foot washing. Okay? That some of the churches in the south practice the foot washing. And they refer to that as, as the third ordinance. And that's why I said, uh, hopefully you do that at home in your, in your privacy. <laughs> but I mentioned to you before that, that Jesus washed their feet because their feet were dirty. And he demonstrated his, uh, his humility. But the bread and the wine. And uh, we mentioned that we differ in our understanding of what Jesus was teaching than with the Catholics. Because the Catholics teach that the, the bread actually becomes the body of Jesus. And that the wine actually becomes the blood. And we mentioned on, on uh, Wednesday also that uh, you've no doubt heard the, the words hocus pocus, right? Hocus pocus. And most people don't realize that that actually comes from what the priest says uh, during the, uh, the observance of the Lord's Supper in the Catholic Church as they, they hold the, the chalice with the wine and they say, Corpus Corpus. You see the changing of the, of the, of the body and the blood. Cor the, the corpus, right? Corpus in, in Latin. And as time went on, you know, guys kind of you know, took that to say, well, hocus pocus, you know, and they pulled the rabbit out of the hat. All that kind of stuff. Well, that's because the Catholic Church teaches that it actually becomes the blood and it actually becomes the flesh. That is, the bread becomes the flesh and the wine becomes the blood. No. No. It symbolizes the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus. The body that was given, the body that was, that was whipped and was, was beaten, and nailed to the cross in the blood that flowed from his veins and his heart to pay the remission, to pay for our sin. Modeled after the Passover because Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the ultimate sacrifice. The Bible refers to him as the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Now the Passover commemorates the deliverance of Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And Jesus as our Passover lamb provides freedom from the bondage of sin, deliverance from the bondage and the destructive nature of sin in our lives. The promise of future fellowship as they were drinking the wine. And now, and uh, Miss Janice again can can uh, can tell you that when the when the Passover is observed, they drink at least four full glasses of wine. Okay. So and, and eventually we'll get to where they're in the in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, they had each drank at least four glasses of wine, so they might have been a little sleepy. <laughs> All right. But during during the Lord's Supper, the Lord said he would no longer drink 
the fruit of the vine until he drank it anew in the future kingdom. A reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb and his bride. And the bride is his church. And the Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, the Passover, the, the Hebrews were required to take a lamb of a year old without spot and without blemish. You see the symbolism contained there? They were then to, to sacrifice that, and then they were to eat it that night. They were to take the blood and to place it on the doorframe. And as the Lord passed through Egypt that night, wherever the blood was, he passed over. But wherever there was no blood, the firstborn of both, both human and animals died. And they were required to, to commemorate that every year which they have done from the time of Moses until now. I learned something the other day, very interesting. About, um, about three, possibly four years ago, some excavations were being done on Mount Ebal in, uh, in Israel. And there was this little, small, about an inch uh, square, this little, what is called a curse tablet discovered. You see, long ago when the children of Israel made it into, into Israel, Mount Ebal and Gerizim, two mountains, one was called the mountain of cursing and one the mountain of blessing. And Joshua and the priests were to speak the word of the Lord to the children of Israel if they were faithful to the Lord, if they would follow the Lord, if they would listen to his word, they would experience the blessing of the Lord. If they failed to do that and they violated the covenant of the Lord, then they were to know that they would experience the curses. And as we've been reading through the book of Jeremiah, uh, they were held accountable because so many, certainly not all, but so many turned away from the Lord. Well, this little curse tablet was found. It's a little lead tablet. Actually, it had two parts, like a little book that you could open up. And what's so interesting is that for years, many scholars said that the Jewish people, the Hebrews, there is no record of them actually being in Egypt. And Moses and the rest of them were illiterate. They had no, they had no complete alphabet and they were illiterate. So this idea that Moses had written the first five books of, uh, of the, you know, the Torah is preposterous. Well, when they discovered this little tablet, lo and behold, what did they find? They discovered that on the inside and on the outside, written in Hebrew, were the various curses that were outlined and 
are found in the scripture concerning the people of the Lord. And they found the Lord's name, which is Yahweh. And it's in the shortened form, Yah. Hallelujah. And I shared with you on Wednesday, okay, when you read, especially Psalm 150, and it says, let all the, the living animals, angels, and the human beings, etc., let everything praise the Lord. And the word is hallelujah, because yah refers to Yahweh, God, in Hebrew. Well, that was found on that tablet. And lo and behold, what they found were all of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet giving evidence that yes, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, were in fact <coughs> literate at that time. It goes all the way back to the Bronze Age, and it's dated between the 12th to 14th century B.C. And so, of course, all the scoffers, they have nothing to say. Okay? But it gives evidence of the exodus from Egypt, the Hebrew people making their way into the promised land. Well, Jesus goes on and he, he begins to tell the, the disciples here. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that comes from Zechariah. You could read that in the, in the prophet Zechariah. Of course, what does, uh, what does Peter say? Here you have Judas betraying the Lord Jesus. And you have Peter bragging. That's what he's doing. Peter's bragging and boasting and, and saying, even if all the rest of these guys betray you, I won't. I will follow you to the death. Isn't that what he says? But we know the rest of the story, don't we? So what do we learn from these passages? The Passover commemorates Israel's deliverance from Egypt and foreshadows our deliverance from the bondage of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we observe the Lord's Supper, it's just not something we do. It's more than that. It is an act of, of worship. It is an act of, of personal devotion. The Lord's Supper is the new covenant, as foretold by Jeremiah. And observance of the Lord's Supper is a personal acknowledgement of all of the above and the Lord's future return. I wasn't able to put all of that information in there. But we're acknowledging that he is the Son of God, that he died upon the cross, that he shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day, that he ascended back to heaven some 40 days later, and one day he will return. For the scripture says, you show 
the death of the Lord, his burial, his resurrection, and you look forward to his return. Jesus is coming back. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we are acknowledging all of that. We must guard our hearts and faithfully serve the Lord. You wonder, how in the world could someone be together with Jesus for three years? Because that's approximately how long Jesus' earthly ministry lasted. Some say three, three and a half years. But for these three years, they heard him preach and teach. They saw the miracles. And how could someone sell him out for 30 pieces of silver? And notice what Jesus says about Judas. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Consider your relationship with the Lord. You know, out in the world, they want you to, to be true to your own self, right? Be true to yourself. Was it Shakespeare who said, to thine own self be true? To thine own self? And the psychologist, you know, that teaches, well, there's, there's good in everyone. And those who say, and follow your heart. Your heart will lead you in the right direction. And the false cults who say, yes, you know, as long as you have a burning in your bosom, then you know that that must be right. Well, what does the Bible say about the heart? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? That's what the Bible teaches. Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? Then over in the book of Proverbs, because that was Jeremiah, that's a quote from Jeremiah, the prophet. But over in the book of Proverbs, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said, in all of your guarding, guard your heart. For out of it flow all of the issues. And of course, the Lord Jesus, what did he say? As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. For it's out of the heart that flow all of the sin that is a part of the human experience. We must guard our hearts and faithfully serve the Lord. So we mentioned baptism. And there are some of you who have yet to make that commitment to be baptized, fully immersed into the water. You just don't get it by the sprinkling, you see. It's an ordinance, it's a command of the Lord Jesus. When you accept Jesus as, as Savior, the next step is believer's baptism. And I like, and I mentioned this before, uh, Jerry and Darlene's son, when he was a little boy, his name's Blake, when he was baptized, he said, it's like putting on the, you know, the uniform of a soldier, someone in the Army, or the Navy, or the Air Force, or the Marines, or the Coast Guard, 
or a police uniform or a fireman. You know who they are by the uniform that they wear. As a Christian, we follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And as the Bible says, we take them down into the water. Because that word baptizo in the Greek means to be immersed, submerged into the water. Buried with Christ, then raised to walk in a new direction of life. We now belong to the king. He's called the God, the Lord of the armies. And we are in the army of the Lord. Amen. And we sing the hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching as to War. Amen. With the cross before us. Amen. Two ordinances. The Lord's Supper and Baptism. Jesus ordained these. And so as we come to a close here, the next time we observe the Lord's Supper, keep in mind that it is an act of worship and personal devotion to Him. It is an acknowledgement of his, of his life, of His person, of His death, of His burial, of His resurrection, His ascension, and His return. People think that Christians are nuts. They think that we're backwards. They think that we're out of touch with reality. The fact is, sadly, that they are out of touch with reality. Because God is real. And the day is coming when our Lord will return. Will you be ready to meet him when he comes? If you're still alive when he returns or when you breathe your last, will you go before him as your savior or your judge? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour. As we sing, don't wait. It's your invitation to make your commitment to the Lord. Let's stand, please. And let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and we pray for people as they make decisions in this hour of decision. We pray, Father, that they will no longer put that decision off, that they will come to you. We thank you for your love, Lord for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.